Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West and your host for today's podcast. So, have you registered for the EFCA West virtual conference happening next month, January 2021, the new year, 27th and 28th? We are releasing six 15-minute messages from speakers that you've heard of and maybe a few you haven't heard of, but Larry Osborne from North Coast Church will be one of them. Ricky Jenkins from Southwest Church. We've got all the directions covered. Kevin Complin, president of the EFCA. Katie Dudgeon, who is running Point for Reach Global in Berlin and others, I think, and even yours truly, actually, but including a total of also seven Zoom sessions, Zoom, Zoom workshops that you can attend. So it's going to be great. And we, we've designed this so that anyone listening, if you're a pastor, church leader, you can take, it's only 15 minutes, so you can take it, you can download it, and you can show it at a staff meeting, or an elder meeting, or whatever, and it's your opportunity to be hopefully be able to get some discussion going or whatever. So we want to take the conference to you as opposed to asking you to come to us because obviously we're still in the throes of COVID, especially if you live in California. Speaking of California, I am fired up today about our podcast because, you know, the whole purpose of this podcast is to showcase and to highlight and to put on display the amazing things that are happening in the Evangelical Free Church of America and particularly in the seven states that make up our district. And I believe, and have believed for a long time, that one of the most innovative, forward-thinking, proactive ministries that has come out of the Evangelical Free Church of America is what is called Immigrant Hope. And so that's what we're going to talk about today and why you need to know about it and why it's so important and how you can even play a role in this. So there's a ton to talk about today. And so joining me is the executive director of Immigrant Hope, Mrs. Diane Martinez. Diane, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Well, I so appreciate you uh, talking to me today, and you are the executive director of Immigrant Hope. Tell us a little bit about um, what Immigrant Hope is and maybe even how it got started. I'm curious. I don't really know the story. Okay. And so just to clarify, so I'm the executive director of Immigrant Hope Santa Barbara because we have an Immigrant Hope National, um, and then we have centers. And so I uh, I direct the, the center here in, uh, uh, in Santa Barbara. Um, and so, um, and I'm sorry, then now tell me what your question is. My question is how did, how did this whole thing get started and, um, what exactly is it? Okay. So, uh, Immigrant Hope is actually, uh, a ministry, uh, of the EFCA, um, that has kind of a threefold purpose. Um, and so I call it the three H's, hope, help, and home. So, um, it's sharing the hope of the gospel. Um, help in determining whether people even have a pathway to any kind of legal uh, residency, and then help in finding uh, a home in a church that cares for their needs. Um, and really, the the idea behind immigration, uh, immigrant hope, is that by providing immigration services um, to our immigrant uh, neighbors, it opens up the door to share the hope of the gospel. Because just think of what a tangent need uh, this is meeting. Yeah, absolutely. I love the fact that you led off with hope that uh, that this is a primarily obviously you want to help people. This is primarily about 
the gospel and bringing good news in all forms to to those that we that you can serve. So how did this thing get started? So uh, originally, the original uh, Immigrant Hope, uh, Alex Mendez, who is uh, who uh, was the executive director of Immigrant Hope and now leads the All People's Ministry, had um, this vision. Um, and along with Bill Hamill, um, decided to um, uh, to put this forth and see how um, they would be able to uh, to create a ministry that would serve um, immigrants. Um, so Immigrant Hope is actually um, uh, a ministry that was uh, approved through the Department of Justice that allows us to legally provide the immigration services. And so we're actually... Um, we're not a government entity, we're a, a church ministry, but however, um, to be able to legally provide these services, we have to go through the Department of Justice and each of our centers has to become recognized and each of the um, people doing the service has to become accredited, um, approved by the Department of Justice that they have enough education and experience to, pro- to be providing um, uh, advisement on immigration uh, to uh, our immigrant neighbors. Yeah, so this is not some kind of underground thing that you're doing, uh, you know, behind closed doors. This is out in the open. The government knows about it. In fact, they want you to do this. Uh, Yeah, as a matter of fact, that's a great point. It's actually uh, the government that went to many churches uh, quite a few years ago and asked the churches if they would do that because there is a a uh, whole group of people uh, in the United States will call notarios that are providing immigration services um, that are not educated or trained to do that, that are providing um, incorrect advice, wrong advice, and charging low-income people almost as much as lawyers are to do the work. So the government was actually looking to the churches because they felt like they would provide people that they could trust to, to provide um this service to uh, low-income neighbors who cannot afford to go to um, a, a, a immigration attorneys. See, I love that kind of thing. And, you know, it's funny because everybody loves to talk about the separation of church and state, and the government's real big on that until they need something, and then they have no problem uh, blurring those lines really fast. And I, that's good because we need to be there, and we are—the church can provide the solution. So then how did you get involved with this? Uh, so um, in 2005, uh, my, my story is kind of I moved to uh, Santa Barbara, um, where my husband had been, was born and raised. We had been living in Arizona and where immigration was a big deal there as well. But it wasn't really on my uh, on my heart. But my husband had bought a home here uh, in uh, Santa Barbara. And it just turns out that it's in um, the west side where the church that we're at is located and in one of the largest, densest populations of immigrants in Santa Barbara. And um, I actually didn't want to live there. I felt uh, out of place. Um, there was a lot going on in the neighborhood, and I was one of the rare people that spake, spoke English instead of Spanish. But due to some of our California laws, um, I wasn't able to move. And so instead, God um, gave me his heart to embrace where I was living and get to know our neighbors. On top of that, um, Shoreline Community Church, where we're located, um, is in the same neighborhood, and I started coming here. Um, My degree is early childhood education, and I was working for the college. And then I started working in a program where uh, I was working with many immigrant first-time 
college students and their families. And then I was doing children's ministry here at the, at the church. And so when you start ministering to children, you get to know the families. And by getting to know the families, you uh, start understanding what um, their issues are. And so um, interesting enough, as a church, we were struggling also because um, over the years, this church and the, the, uh, uh, the residents of the neighborhood had, had changed and a lot more um, low-income families were moving in as people were moving out to newer areas. And so um, we were struggling and saying, if this is who our neighbors are, how do we serve our neighbors? Mm. Um, and so we kept trying different things, um, but um, it wasn't until um, Immigrant Hope, I heard about Immigrant Hope in 2011, that um, we went down there, myself and the youth pastor and a couple of interns, and came back just saying, this is, this is, what, this is what we're supposed to be doing, um, and um, just praying through that process on, on how we'd be able to do that, because honestly, we didn't have the funds to do it. Yeah. And, and so that's was what started you. And obviously you're a very catalytic person because it wasn't just the Santa Barbara location. You have gone various places. I, I, I don't know all the where you've, where, where have you guys, I know you've gone to Phoenix and you've been in, in really instrumental in getting one of these immigrant hope centers started there. Where else have you had the opportunity to see these things take off? Um, so the, um, only other place that I've actually, uh, been is, um, Arkansas. Uh, so in Little Rock, Arkansas, I'm helping, uh, a, a church there, um, get started. Um, but Immigrant Hope has actually expanded now. And so st- starting in January, uh, we are, uh, we moved up into San Luis Obispo County into a Royal Grande. Um, there are the five mm. cities up there. And so we are expanding up into there with working with five churches up there um, that have come together to uh, to form this. Um, and then now we recently have um, a couple of other uh, places within the West District that have applied to become Immigrant Hope Centers, uh, one in Indio that we're going to be working with. Um, and so um, it is my heart um, uh, a lot to be able to uh, to help. I love doing that piece of it. And my background is education. So I love training um, people and um, and helping them go through the, the, it's a government process you have to go through to work mm-hmm. with the Department of Justice to be able to do that. So I love to help people um, through that process so that that is not a barrier to uh, to providing this ministry. Yeah, and I just love the fact that you have not just kept it in that locality, but you you know you're expanding. You're all all over the place. It seems like, and and that's exciting. So we're going to talk more about exactly what you what you do. But but right now, can you tell us a little bit what's the state of immigration? right now. I mean, it seems like a few years ago it was a really big deal. Now we had the election and there was a lot going on. And then obviously I think COVID and some of the other social unrest and different things that have in their most recent election has kind of put immigration on the back burner in, in the consciousness of our nation at this point. I mean, it's still there, but not the where it was. But so tell us where, where are we now with the whole issue of immigration? What are you, what are we looking at? What should we be preparing for? What, what do you say about that? So honestly, it's it, the whole immigration system is a mess, right? It, it, it really needs, we as a country, we need to look at um, what, what our immigration laws should be. But as far as where we're at, I don't know, uh, recently um, DACA 
um, came back uh, onto the table. And so, so we're able to help uh, some of these young people um, uh, apply again, some of these that came as children uh, before they were age 16 and allows them to apply for this temporary um, service. So right now that's a new thing that has opened up for us to do immigration services for. But really what we've seen uh, right now is with COVID, um, many of our immigrant neighbors are um, uh, greatly affected um, by, uh, by COVID. And so we saw uh, a big reduction just even in our immigration caseload um, and the, the work that we're doing. So for example, last year we served um, 412 people. This year we're just at about 300 people right now um, and uh, aren't taking any more cases for the rest of the year. Um, because um, many of them are just um, struggling um, with COVID and um, the loss of jobs or the loss of hours to even just put food on their table. So, um, so this is kind of um, not at the forefront of what uh, of what's immediate in their lives um, mm -hmm. right now. And so we have seen uh, that step back. Um, so we're actually looking at providing other kinds of services um, to, to families right now, to immigrant families, like we're doing learning pods to try and help the, the children because here, California is of course a lot stricter right now in, in, in some of our rules. And so, um, so just being able to see people, we're doing uh, uh, soap pantries because many of them, we, we work with food banks to get them food, but many of them couldn't even wash their clothes. Um, and so it, it's kind of meeting the immediate needs right now of families instead of um, immigration. But just to say, it, it may be immigration, uh, Tim, may be on the back burner for, for a lot of us right now just because of COVID. However, it's still at the forefront of many of our, our, our friends' hearts. It really is a desire for many of them to uh, be able to be um, a citizen of the United States. But because of our immigration laws, um, they don't really have um, the opportunity to do that. And so if I could just throw in, there's such a misconception around there that I, I hear people all the time say, well, why don't they just do it the right way? Um, however, what we don't realize is that for many of them, there is not a right way because um, based either on how they came here or based upon um, laws that have recently changed, um, that it has taken away a pathway for them. So they can't put in an application because there's no um, legal uh, immigration law that allows them to, uh, to, to, to be a citizen of the United States. You know, I, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. And I was actually in the Bay Area earlier before COVID. I was visiting a few churches and I was I, didn't t I took an Uber back to the airport and there was a guy, he was a Sikh guy. He had come from India and we were chatting it up because I'd been over there and we were talking about different places and stuff. And I was just kind of asking him about his life. And he, he was saying that he had come over four years ago from India. And the expectation at the time was that he'd be able to bring his family over. But when he got here, and he came here legally, but when he got, it was like a work visa or something like that. But when he got here, the laws changed. And now, and so he's been waiting and he says, you know, and he had a picture of his, his uh, daughters and his wife on his phone. He showed me, he said, I haven't seen him in, four, in like four years. And, and I, and I even, and I, it was interesting because I said, well, man, why don't you just go back? And he's like, I'm not going back. You know, this is where I need to be. This is the, you know, he has this future, but it was interesting because we didn't talk about the politics of it. It, it, it wasn't about politics. It was just very much 
the, the you know the the laws were confusing they were they were they had they were not necessarily consistent and and this guy he was a sharp guy he had a he had a very good business back where he had come from and you could you know he's educated guy and just trying to figure it out and so I, I want to, and, and it really gave me a different perspective um, personally, because when you have those personal conversations, it's it seems like the politics melt away. This is obviously a politically charged issue. And, and so I just want to just be super clear um, for everybody listening to this about this with, because here we have this thing, Immigrant Hope, and a lot of people when they first hear it, they're going to think, okay, is this some kind of, you know, SJW, you know, social justice thing that's just that's super left and, you know, not really consistent with our mission. Um, how do you guys approach this thing from the political angle? So, um, you know, we don't consider ourselves a, uh, obviously a, a political organization. Um, however, we do have to deal with the politics of it because immigration is very much in the law. But what we, but in saying that, it's we have to work within the confines of the barriers of the of the law, and so um, so that means that we have to keep updated on the politics of immigration. Just because um, there, it, if anybody's followed the news, um, you know, not just not just with this recent administration, but even with the prior administration, there have been a lot of changes that have happened in immigration law. So it's it's continuous for us. To, to be updated on that kind of, uh, of, of thing so that we know how to, uh, how to respond and how uh, we can legally help um, people come into the United States. And so when we talk about what kind of ministry we are, and you had said, I love that hope is at the, mm -hmm. at the, at the beginning of this. So I think we have to remember that this ministry is really about the hope of the gospel and that um, by God opening up the doors through immigration services, we are as a church are serving, uh, yes, a, um, uh, a politically charged uh, population, um, but we get to respond a little bit differently. One of the things that, um, that I was doing the other day that God had just given me a, an idea of was, was talking about citizenship. And when we think about our our goal is to share the hope of the gospel and what that hope gives us, right? So if I took um, a U.S. citizenship and I compared it to eternal citizenship, the, the differences, I mean, are amazing to think um, that what God offers us is eternal, right? It's, it's completely different than what a U.S. citizen offers us, which is temporary um, and in certain cases can be taken away from you. Once you accept Christ into your, to your life as Lord, it's, it's, it's a permanent citizenship. Yeah. What is that? I, I love the way Peter says kept in heaven for you never mm. uh, perishes, fades or spoils. Um, the cost of citizenship in the United States is, is great. Even this guy that you were talking about um, uh, for many people, it's, it's, a long process. And if you're trying to petition for a family member, which is 70% of how people get into the United States is through family members, but because the laws have changed, it's years, sometimes up to 20 years from the time you petition to somewhere somebody can come in. And so when you think about the time frame, it's terrible, but also the cost of doing it. And yet Jesus paid the cost for us. Mm -hmm. And so um, there's, there's, 
um, forgiveness, complete forgiveness um, from God to where if you have certain things in immigration laws, there's another barrier that they don't forgive, um, that you can't put it past. Even in some cases, a juvenile, um, it, it's, it's still on their records and counted against them. Um, and so um, when I just think of um, how uh, immediate citizenship, uh, uh, the hope of citizenship is in, in, in Christ. I just think that's the true um, ministry that we have here is, and that we get to share with people that come in, that we can't offer any other hope because of um, the way our immigration laws are written right now. Yeah. And I, and I, and I love, I, I want people to hear that because it's, it's not about you, you're, you're saying, look, we're just working within the confines of the law. And you've, uh, you've said several times, legally help. <laughs> right. We are Absolutely. legally helping. We're not illegally helping. Um, you know, that's what you're doing. And, and within the confines of the law. And so there's a, there's gotta be kind of a relative. I mean, obviously you have hope that you can, you know, things will happen in a certain way, but you, you, you don't, you it's almost like you're not there campaigning for one thing or the other. You're just going, look, we're just operating under whatever the laws are, whatever, however they're written. And we're, we're having to fit and adjust along the way to serve the people as best as we can. Right. And, and for, for many of us, I mean, uh, we have, many consultations that come in that there, there is no help within the law. Mm. Right. And so that's where, uh, that's where, well, what else, what else can we do? So we can share the gospel. We can, we can say the, these are other ways that we can help you, but uh, by, by law, um, we cannot make anybody eligible for any type of immigration benefit unless the law clearly gives a pathway uh, for them to do that. So we're truth tellers, right? And that's one of the things that I love that the church gets to do this because if people cannot come to the church to hear the truth, right? So um, so think about, we get to tell them the truth that uh, for immigration that uh, opens up the door to, to tell a truth that sets them free. Yeah. No, no, that's so, and you, you going back to your citizenship thing, I was, I was reminded of earlier in the year, I was in New Mexico before it got, all got locked down. And I was driving from Las Cruces to Albuquerque, and it was a, it's a long drive. I didn't realize how long it was. And I was out in the middle of nowhere, which is basically anywhere between Las Cruces and Albuquerque. And it was getting late in the day. There was nobody on the road, and there was this little little uh, border patrol shack that they make you stop at. And I, I, there's like nobody around. And I pull up and stop, and it's just this one guy. And I roll my window down. He looks at me. He's like, citizen? And I said, Yep. And he's like, all right, go. And it, it struck me, even though there's there's other places in San Diego and different places like that, but it was such a different, because I, you know, I'd never been out there and I was all by myself and it was kind of getting dark. And I just thought, man, what a privilege it is to be a, all that, that, that citizenship meant everything. And I, it thought, I thought so much about that as I was driving away, as you were saying, the spiritual the spiritual parallels there of what it means to be a citizen of heaven. It, it's, it's everything. But then you bring in the idea of the cost of that relative to the cost that Jesus paid um, as opposed to what is so expensive here. I want to get into that, though, because when I heard you last time, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I heard when we were in Phoenix a couple years ago. You said what or was the conversation was something like if, a, if, an, if an illegal immigrant 
wanted to try to get a pathway to citizenship, like the baseline cost to talk to an attorney or someone like that is like 1500 bucks or something like that. And then they give you a little bit of information and then like, it's like a paywall. And then the next one jumps to like $8,000 or something like that. And there was, maybe you can fill in the gaps, but there was something like that, like the, it was cost prohibitive. So here you have a person that wants to actually do the right thing. They're here. They can't really go back for maybe a number of reasons, but they're but they but they're but they're prohibited because of these exorbitant costs. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So um, for without um, organizations like ourselves that are mm-hmm. doing uh, are, are doing this, if somebody is going to an immigration lawyer to try to determine, so the first thing they do is they go for a consultation. Well, most immigration lawyers aren't doing those free, right? Um, and so. So they're paying for the consultations, which could be anywhere from, um, you know, $1,000 to $1,500. It just depends on uh, on the lawyer. Um, and we're not talking about, we're, we're talking about regular immigration lawyers, not those that do uh, pro bono work or, or low cost work, but those that is just a regular immigration lawyer. Um, and then um, if they do have any type of pathway to um, U.S. citizenship, then um, you're looking lawyers charging anywhere from five to ten thousand dollars for them to to provide um, to provide those services for them. And if it means, hey, I have a pathway, but I have to first uh, become a legal permanent resident and then I have to go to citizenship. You're talking about um, people paying twenty thousand um, dollars to be able to get all the way through that process just for the lawyers, not alone then you have to look at the immigration fees that they have to pay, um, which are a couple of thousand dollars to become a legal permanent resident um, on top of costs for um, medical exams and other things that they have to do to prove um, that they're healthy and, and that they, they should be let in. Um, and, then, um, and then you have to wait so many years and then you apply for citizenship. Right now, the cost for citizenship is $725, but it's going up to $1,061. Um, if you're employed and an employer will help you with those costs, it's not bad. But for most of the people we see, there's no way that they can um, afford those types of, um, uh, of fees to be able to, to even apply uh, for, for benefits. Yeah, is that per person? Yeah, that would be per person. So if you had a family, so if you had, if you was like you and your spouse and you had a a couple of kids or whatever, but I mean, you can't, it's not just like one family, right? I mean, you'd have to. Yeah. uh, With immigration, um, a lot of times um, there's certain applications where you can include the family um, and it's one fee, but in a, in a lot of cases, it's each, each person has to pay an individual fee. Now, a lawyer, if they're working with a whole family, would probably give the family a, a discount, right. a family discount, and not charge that for each person. But, um, uh, but no, if you're, if you're a whole family that's trying to immigrate, the costs, um, the costs are a lot. So then, so then they, so you have a, you have a, let's say you have a guy who's like, hey, I want to become a legal citizen. And he doesn't go, he says, I don't, there's no way I'm going to do this with a lawyer or, but then he finds you guys. So how are you different? What, how, how is their experience going to be different by going to you? Uh, well, so uh, first of all, the way that um, we are set up is that we don't refuse services to anyone. Um, so being able to, uh, to, uh, to pay a fee um, is, not, uh, is not required. Um, and so I'll just give you an example. Mm-hmm. So we charge $280 to do a citizenship application. 
um, compared to a lawyer um, uh, who's mostly going to charge anywhere from five to ten thousand dollars to do a citizenship application. And so that's um, that's just a, a, a huge difference. Um, there are, um, I mean, like we work with um, certain lawyers that will work with low-income people to either charge them less depending on their income or help them make payments to do that. But uh, those are rare. Those are, are the few exceptions for most, um, unless you're with a, another nonprofit organization that gets funding to do that kind of work. Um, their cost is, is, is very high to go to, uh, to a lawyer. Um, the other thing is that um, in some cases, there are fee waivers. Um, so we try to, to see if, uh, if low-income people qualify for fee waivers that either reduces um, or pays the cost of their applications. But that's only for certain types of applications after you've already become a legal permanent resident. To, to renew your green card or to uh, apply for citizenship for most of the other ones, unless you are like a violence against women or a trafficked person, um, there aren't fee waivers and you have to come up with a full fees. And so most of the time we can adjust our fees so that they can afford to pay uh, for, um, for the USCIS costs yeah. um, of, of doing it. So, so in other words, the five to $10,000, for what you would get for that, you can do for 280. And if they can't even pay that, you figure something out for them. Correct. Yeah. So t- tell me about like, what is it? Help me understand what, what this looks like. I mean, how, walk me through a scenario where someone finds you, comes and visit. Who, who are, I mean, I, I know they're illegal immigrants, but but what are they like? I mean, what what is the typical kind of person? What's their situation and what oftentimes happens? Yeah. And, and so a lot of times they're not undocumented, right? So they may be somebody that's already a green card holder because we do a lot of citizenship applications. So they already um, have been a legal uh, permanent resident um, and they um, have been here, they either through marriage for three years or otherwise for five years, and then they can apply for citizenship. So that's a lot that we do. But when anybody calls us, what we first do um, is we set them up for a consultation. And then we, we get the opportunity just to hear their story and to go through and hear their story, right? And that alone sets up many opportunities to, to speak into their lives. But we get to hear um, their stories of how they came and why they're still here in some cases, because if they are undocumented, if they're not here lawfully, um, there's usually a story behind um, why they're here or how they came. Just to throw a little caveat in there, people think that many people came into the United States unlawfully, but... And some did, yes, but a lot came in lawfully. And because just like this this man that you were talking to, laws changed, um, then they lost that status and then they just didn't go home. But there, for many of the uh, people that when you see statistics about undocumented immigrants, they did come into the United States lawfully. We just always listen to the story and then based upon their story, um, we'll ask for certain kind of evidence um, and we will look at the whole story and the documentation that they have to, to give them advice on any options they may have or options are that there is no option. Um, but either way, um, and sometimes that requires um, a, a bit of time to be able to um, request records um, and to, uh, to understand if they've had any uh, issues with the law or with um, uh, immigration officials, um, just to be able to determine. So sometimes it's, it's a real, real opportunity to build relationships 
right? Because sharing the gospel, um, the, the more we can build relationships with people, the more we get um, the um, privilege of being able to, um, uh, to be Jesus to them, to, to be able to uh, be his hands and feet and the privilege of being able to speak into their lives. Well, and when people are in a place of desperation or they're at least in a place of some type of crisis or deep need, they're oftentimes more open to spiritual things. I mean, because they're at a point where they're like, hey, you know, I need something. What has been, I mean, how, how do they, you know, you, you say you, you're in this opportunity where you can share this, um, you can share the gospel, you can share the good news along with this practical help. How is it often received when you share the gospel? Uh, Really, what happens is uh, the first thing that we'll usually do is after people tell their story, and, and it's very emotional, not only for them, but for us to, to hear mm-hmm. uh, to hear the story, is, is just ask them right away, can we, can we pray? Mm-hmm. Um, and prayer opens the door uh, for a lot of things because God will just give you something. I mean, there's so many times, uh, Tim, that we will just pray for somebody and um, we're just done praying and uh, they're in tears and then they say something like, how, how did you know? And it's just something that God gave us to say into their lives. It, it just opens up the door for the conversation. And through that conversation, uh, be able to share um, that there is still a hope out there, even uh, without it. And like I say, hope is such a, a key thing for people right now that don't have any hope. I just want to, I mean, just right now, um, we were just kind of going back. Um, bet- between the time that COVID started, and um, last week, um, just through um, uh, the ministry, 16 people have come to know the Lord. Wow. And we've shared with, with many more than that, just mm. because um, the world isn't offering them any hope right now. And when you have, like you said, when people are in crisis and then you have COVID, this pandemic um, and loss of jobs and desperation that's going with um, trying to care for the needs of your family, um, it's just an open door to share that God's willing to, to, to help them care for those needs um, and that the hope is, has to be in him and him alone. Wow. That is fantastic. I just, I absolutely love hearing that because that is the hope. You know, I was reading and um, thinking about it this a lot because in our divided society right now, which is more and more pronounced, there's, you know, there's that story in Joshua chapter five, where Joshua approaches this, this random guy and he's like, Hey, are you for us or for our enemies? And the guy says, and it's so cool that ESV says, the guy says, no, you know, neither one. Um, but I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. Take off your sandals for your standing on holy ground. And, and I, I love, I love that because it reframes the whole situation. And, you know, when we talk about this and people are, you know, have their, their opinions about, about people and their legal status and what should happen and, and all the laws and the politics and everything else. And you just cut across it with a totally different, um, from a totally different angle and say, listen, this person needs hope because they're not getting it from this side. They're not getting it from the other side. COVID has redrawn the map in so many people's lives and just fractured so many things. The, the overarching hope has got to be that God's still speaking and communicating and wants to use the situation that we find ourselves in legally, politically, and everything else to, to bring the gospel. And that's exactly what you're doing. And, and, I, I, and you're doing it through stuff that actually helps. You can talk about hope, help, and home. So, so we've talked about, obviously, the hope, and it's very, very apparent that's where your heart's at, and, and a little bit about the help. 
Um, talk about the home. What does that What does that mean? How, how does that How does that factor into all this? So uh, we actually serve people uh, here in Santa Barbara, not just in Santa Barbara, um, because uh, there are only uh, between the I think uh, the county that we're in and the counties that surround us. There's only I think four organizations that are are, are doing this, and so. Um, we just get people from, we get people from Los Angeles County. We just get people. And um, what's interesting about um, uh, this ministry is that um, our best advertisement is word of mouth. So you help, mm. um, uh, you help somebody in a family and then they tell other family members about that. And so what we try to do, especially if somebody is opening, is open to receive the gospel, which, uh, you know, there's been a lot more than, um, than just the 16 uh, over the years, because we've been doing this since 2012. We've been doing first education and then immigration services. And so um, so what we try to do then is is encourage them um, to go in and find, um, find a church. So um, what's happened with Immigrant Hope uh, Santa Barbara is that through First, we started um, a ministry to the children, and then we expanded into youth and, and college, and then Immigrant Hope. But through all of that, um, we be, we started a, a Spanish church here. Mm-hmm. So, of course, if it's somebody here, we can we can tell them about um, uh, the church here and try to connect them, helping them understand that the hope isn't just for that moment, mm-hmm. but but God's offering them. A hope from now, um, and and we get to see the the total realization of what he's offering us in eternity. And so, trying to connect them. So whether it's somebody that we can connect here, or somebody that lives in another part of the county, where we can um, help them find um, someone. Um, uh, and it, the the home is a home in a church that cares for their needs. Hmm. And so, trying to connect them with another Christian church where we know that they will be um, finding uh, a family that's accepting and loving of them. Yeah. And that can be tricky, right? Because, right. If you're dealing with somebody who has a questionable legal status and and there are, I mean, there are some very murky waters. I know that there's been situations where in in some churches where you have uh, individuals who've risen to levels of leadership and, and maybe they even have their, you know, it's time to put your name on a on a 501c3 form or something like that. And it, that gets, that gets tricky and you have to kind of wade through those, those waters. Do you have any, do you have any counsel or guidance on how you maybe had to look at that or deal with that as, as, as people like this have gotten involved in churches and how, you know, how, what are some of the things that could, how do you walk through some of those things? So it is tricky, right? Um, and so for me, it's really um, even getting some calls from churches mm. on 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 these kinds of uh, of things. But I try to again just say we're not here to judge people, and I think that's one of the reasons why Immigrant Hope works so well mm-hmm. is um, we're not here to judge people. We're here to tell people the truth. Mm-hmm. And so we get to tell them the truth about immigration law and what it means to them, right? And and what our law says, and they have to decide what to do with that. Right. Um, we get to then, um, like I said, then share the hope that comes with that, um, but not not do it in a judgmental way because then that doesn't give us the opportunity to serve them in a Christ-like manner. And so I think that. When we are trying to connect people to uh, to a home, 
Um, we're looking at places, um, and, and sometimes we don't know. I mean, they may come from a city that we don't know um, who's there. Sometimes I can call, like if it's an EFCA church, I can talk to the EFCA church and, you know, see how they feel about it and connecting people that way. Um, but a lot of times, just even by going into somebody's website and looking at that and, and seeing what they believe in, um, give people a few options and, and let them know that that they need to go and find a, a church that they feel comfortable in. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and I, yeah. And it, and it's, it's funny. Cause I, I know when this was, this issue was really hot a few years ago and at the church that I was um, pastoring at the time. And I would just say, Hey, look, you know, if, unless you work for the border patrol in which he yeah, had, God bless you. You know, when we had border patrol agents that are, I mean, I'm, you know, here in Phoenix and unless you work for, you know, immigration, immigration services, and it's your job to, to, you know, in a sense, go after or enforce the immigration laws. We, we are called to, to reach anyone that God's placed around us. That's who we're called to reach. And we're not, we're not, we're not so, oh, this person, you know, we don't know their immigration status, so, you know, they don't matter or we're not going to, you know. And so we had to help kind of reframe the issue because it was so politicized. And, and I think, the, you know, these, these kind of things ebb and flow in terms of their, how much prominence they take in the news and everything else. But I think the point you made earlier is really important, too, that when we're, we're talking about a lot of people— who, who, again, because we think of people that like, okay, they ran across the border, they have a criminal record, you know, they're, they're under the radar, they're up to no good, they're, you know, just, they're, they're taking these jobs under the table and sending the money back and, and, and they don't, they're, we, we just see this as like all this kind of nefarious and, and there, there, obviously there are those people out there that are, that are like that, but the vast majority of the people that you're talking about, that you're working with in a lot of cases, like you said, they, they, they had a legal status, but they lost it, you know, and they had, they've been here or they were born here and, and, you know, they just never, there's something, there was issue with their parents or whatever else. So it's, it's, it's muddy, it's murky, it's gray, it's not well-defined. And, and we, I think what you're helping to do is help the church position itself in such a way that we can receive these people um, who are going through this and walk with them just like we would want to walk with anybody else that's going through a struggle in their life that's not all neat and tidy. Yeah, when you think about um, who Jesus says the least of these is, yeah. right? So we do ministry to uh, the prisoner and we do ministry to the poor and we do ministry um, to the widow and we do ministry to uh, to the stranger who, mm-hmm. who who he calls. And he says, those are those are the least of these. So we have to think, I think, as the church, as this is a ministry to um, the immigrant. And even as the church, I mean, we do have some um, um, confines by the law. We cannot hire an immigrant to work for us if they do not have lawful status in the United States. So if they don't have work authorization, but um, we we don't hire the prisoner and we don't hire certain people right. anyway. So right. so the idea is how can we look at them with those same eyes as we do um, the prisoner? And let me just make that point real quick. We, we have no trouble going into prisons and serving um, people who have committed uh, atrocious things like murder and, and other things, um, felony laws. And we, we very much struggle with the idea that we serve the immigrant who has, um, by being here unlawfully, is, is a misdemeanor law. Yeah. Um, so they don't, they don't become a felon unless they commit a felony. Um, and so 
Um, so I think if we would put on a different lens, maybe, and look at the immigrant the same way we do, because often the immigrant is also the poor or the, mm-hmm. uh, the single parent um, who, is, who is struggling to raise um, their children, um, that, um, uh, that we realize that there's ways to love them without judging them, but without breaking any laws in, in doing that, just like with any other um, a group that that are considered the least mm-hmm. of these. Well, and that that's why I was so, you know, impressed by what you guys were doing initially, and, and when I first heard about it, and I've continued to be impressed is, is because you you you're disinterested politically, and it, meaning like it's just not that's not why you're here. You're here for the gospel. You're here for the hope. You provide help that's that's legal and helpful and and actually makes sense. And then and then what you really want to do is get them plugged in. To a to a community just like anybody else should be plugged into a church community, and that's just a it's a beautiful model. So then I want to talk then about how we can get involved because you know some of these some there's been some churches that have signed on and and opened these. I mean we have one here in Phoenix that's opened up its own kind of immigration center. If, if there's people listening going what what how do I what 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 could we do about this? And obviously we're all in different places, but I would say in in EFCA West in particular. And, and you've, you're in the confines of EFC, which is a pretty large area. There is not a square inch of our district that could not greatly benefit from a from from immigrant hope being in a, a nearby location to where anybody in our district is. If you know anything about our geography and our you know where we are, so tell us how does a church jump into this? What what do they have? What what would they have to do? That's a great question. So um, I want to use the Phoenix model itself. So. Um, after um, I was invited in to speak to the to speak to the pastors, um, two of the pastors just felt like maybe God was calling them to do that. But those churches were actually not in um, areas that um, really were serving the immigrant population. However, um, the members of the church had the heart to serve the immigrant population, and because of that we were able to connect with a church that was in the middle of the immigrant population that could not um, maybe afford to open up this ministry without help. And so these two EFCA churches along with others came alongside them um, and helped them open up that ministry. So that is, that is what Immigrant Hope National is all about. So we go in and we help um, churches and just think how well that goes with church planting, how planting churches in those areas um, and um, opening up an immigration center open, will open up the door to serve um, immigrants um, mm-hmm. uh, in in areas. So we kind of look at where where the church is located. So we go in and kind of just do a, 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 a business plan with you and say, hey, does this make sense um, for your church? Like you said, uh, in the West District, obviously, especially California, but we look at Arizona, we look at New Mexico, we look at some of these, Texas, and, and we're, we're so um, largely um, immigrant populated um, in, uh, in our district. Um, that um, churches could either look at um, would it make sense for us um, or is there someone is there another church that we have um, that we could partner with where it may not be our location because one of the things we want to look at is is this some place that immigrants would feel comfortable going to yeah because they um, have they have to actually go there I mean you're, you you yeah. need some square footage in your yes. church and you need a facility. Yes. 
to be able to do this? So we work with churches to determine um, if this is a good location. Um, If not, is there another church that's interested in doing it that we could be a resource for um, to do that? But then we also work all the way through uh, the plan with you. We provide the immigration law training. We connect you with people to get the experience. Because to qualify as an accredited rep, you have to know immigration law and you have to get um, on-the-job training experience under either a lawyer or another accredited rep um, and have to apply through the DOJ and be approved to do this work. And so um, Immigrant Hope um, nationally and through some of our centers are all set up to help churches um, walk all the way through that process and become recognized to um, to offer that, offer that ministry. Yeah, so in addition to being... In an, in an area that would make sense for an, an, an immigrant population to show up to, what are some other things that, that the church would need? Um, so, so obviously you're going to need some, some resources. And like you said, space, you have to think about your, your documenting people's very personal uh, information. So you, you need a private space um, to, uh, to be able to uh, provide that service where uh, files can be locked up. You need the resources to do that. Um, because remember, clients do pay a small fee, like we talked about, if they can afford. Um, but um, through the rules from the Department of Justice, your fees can only be about 20% of your budget. So your rest of your budget is coming through uh, grants and fundraising and, and donations. Um, and one of the things is the church providing the space for that um, as well, but also um, uh, some some resources and and. Uh, people that can fundraise for you or get the word out there. So you're gonna need some. You're gonna need some. You'll need some space to be able to have private meetings, file cabinet space, and and you know it's it's so interesting as you're talking about this because I I keep going back to the, the 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 mission and I keep thinking about EFCA the the mission and why if someone's listening to this like should we really do this. And we've talked about this several times, and we're going to keep talking about it, that when we look at the idea of, of Jesus saying, listen, I want you to go to Jerusalem, I want you to go to Judea and Samaria, and I want you to go to the ends of the earth, we'd all agree that EFCA is just killing it, and has killed it with the ends of the earth. I mean, I, I visit all these EFCA churches as the district superintendent, and like almost every one of them has got some kind of foreign mission focus, and it's fantastic. And even, you know, the, the, the local, you know, even the local neighborhood community, a lot of times there's, there's, some, there's some active engagement. But it's that Judeans, it's that cross-cultural. It's that middle space, that Judea and Samaria. That's, you know, the, the people that are within our midst but who are different. And that's, this just strikes it right dead on target. And I think partially because of that, it may be something that is such unfamiliar territory with so many EFCA and just churches in general. We just don't, Jesus don't do this very well. But I'm thinking about the bridges that are being built that can be built cross-culturally. And then I'm also thinking about, we talk about redemption and we talk about even redeeming the soul and in, in obviously sharing the gospel, but then it's the, it's the entire redemption of that, even that family line, that the trajectory of that family for generations gets changed. And, and they move from being someone here with a, with a, uh, a, a non-legal, illegal status 
who is, you know, f- fearful and afraid and doesn't know the gospel to somebody who could potentially be helped and served to get a, a felt need met, get the gospel, get plugged into a church, and now follow their family line 20, 40 years later, and they are, you know, they are, uh, um, they're flourishing, flourishing here in our country, serving the church, serving their community, raising a family of believers. I mean, there's just the vision for this is is you can't put a you can't you can't limit what is possible and i keep thinking that in the absence of this there really isn't any hope all you you i mean for as much as we christians love to to denigrate the government if if we really believe that the government can't do anything really helpful and most of us are very cynical about the government then there's really nobody else left, right? It's got it's gonna have to come from the church, but the ingredients are already there, and you've outlined them with the hope, the help, and the home. So, so really, what we're talking about is a church, and and you're saying, and I know what the churches you're talking about too. The center isn't even where they are. So, there are they sending then volunteers to go and help? Did they get some volunteers trained? Are they are they financially supporting this? What would be their involvement if the center is not on their premises? So if the center's not on their premises, it's, it's, it's multiple things. So uh, for uh, many of them, it is, um, uh, yes, uh, a financial commitment, mm-hmm. um, which may be um, small to large, just depending on the church um, and what they've decided to give. But, but it is also uh, help because most of the centers are doing uh, educational um, things as well. We're helping people um, with English um, and with mm. their civics tutoring because you have to know those things to be able to become a, a citizen. So that they're sending uh, tutors over. They're sending people. Some of the accredited reps um, are volunteers. So they're they're taking this training and they're volunteering to do that. In some cases, you have people that are lawyers that are volunteering um, their time or people that are just doing admin work. So they're they're really providing um, the background support um, for uh, for the center to be able to do for the accredited reps to be able to do the work that they do. Yeah, well, and and again, I just think that there's really not any reason why there's just no reason that a church that wants to get involved in this. I mean, there's some role that they can they can play, and I and I really want to make sure. And I know you're not going to want to say it too much, but I want to make very clear that this is made possible. You know, I I don't want to gloss over 20% of your budget is, is the maximum that a person can pay because of the way this thing is structured. So where are they, where are you going to get the extra funding? You're going to have to get it. In fact, I know you, and you've had fundraisers and I'm on your email list. In fact, you guys had a, a run, um, and I participated. It was a virtual run. Yes, you did. I did. I was there. I was in there. I'll do the, I'll do the next one. It was actually our best fundraiser. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. No, that's fantastic. Oh, I thought it was cool. I mean, I would, in fact, we, I think we talked about it too. It was like, it was like last January or something like that. And, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll do the next one. As soon as my, my leg's a little bummed right now, I got to get fixed. But as soon as that, as soon as the, that happens, but are you guys planning on something like that soon? Another fundraiser? Um, we are looking at doing another t- uh, type of virtual fundraiser, of course, with this mm-hmm. um, going on. And so we're looking at um, different things. In fact, I was just looking at uh, one where they're doing a bicycle ride. Um, where there's different bicycle rides and stuff that you can do. So we are looking for ways that people can can still get outside, especially in the midst of COVID, and and um, do something that that could um, you know pedal for hope or something. I'm not I'm not sure what it's going to be called, but we're gonna um, we are looking at at doing that and will 
um, we'll definitely get the word out on on what that is. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, and people can check it out at um, at Immigrant Hope SB. So SB as in Santa Barbara. ImmigrantHopeSB.org is the website to go to to check it out. And and then what? And then you're just at your Diane. What's your email, Diane? Uh, Diane Martinez at immigranthope.org. There you go. So immigranthope.org, not immigranthopesb, but immigranthope.org. We'll put it in the description on the on the on the podcast site. But that's the first step is to reach out to Diane, right? Just reach out to you. Please do. Yeah, and and with any questions or follow ups or anything. I want everybody to think, to really consider this and think about this. Pray for this ministry. Consider supporting this ministry. Consider bringing this to your leadership. Consider talking about this and say, hey, what can we do? To me, this is a no-brainer. It's a no-brainer because it transcends politics. You know, it's you're not on this side or that side. You're on God's side here, and we believe that the church is the hope of the world. And I, I again, I just can't say enough about how much I think this hits the right hits the target in a way that the secular culture it just can't do it it does not have the ingredients it doesn't have the narrative it doesn't have the structure the story it doesn't have the, the the fuel to be able to help people the way they need to be helped so i just really want to again commend you diane on on what you're doing and um, I'm just proud of to be a, again a part of a tribe that is living out the mission statement of, of multiplying transformational churches among all people so so thank you I, I just I love what you're doing thanks uh, Tim and and you know uh, just a just a very final thought as as you just mentioned the EFCA mission statement and you talked about um, the uh, great commission and and to go. Um, into all the world and how, how really how the Lord brought all the world here. Um, I just think of one other piece, and that is we get the opportunity through this ministry to not only live out the Great Commission, but the Great Commandment um, mm-hmm. as well. And so um, when we think about how the Lord has um, uh, just brought those two together uh, for us, um, um, it's actually such a blessing uh, for us uh, to be able to uh, to do this work. And um, we, we know what heaven's going to look like. And so he's he's um, he's definitely opening up the doors uh, for for all tribes and all nations right here in in, in our country. Well, I love it. Well, we need more leaders like you, Diane, and we're just going to continue to pray on that end. And we're just grateful for what you do. So so thanks so much for uh, for being for being our guest today on the EFCA West podcast. Thanks for having me.